0: Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Some of you have entered the sanctuary today and you are touched by grief. Maybe it's a recent grief. Maybe it's a deep-seated and past grief, a sadness at the loss of someone who you love deeply. Some of you are here today to maybe just get away from things. I had a chance to get away for a week, and some of you take vacations and get away from the noise and bustle of life. And maybe today you're here in a worship service just to get a few minutes when it's not about all the noise and the distractions. Maybe you're here today and you're in need of something. You're here hoping that Jesus will be able to step into the situation in your life, in your situation, in your need, its health need, a physical need, a spiritual need, and hoping that He will intervene, hoping that He will stop that issue in its tracks. Some of you are here today, and plain and simple, you just may need to be rescued from the state of sin and unrighteousness that dwells within you. We're going to look at a familiar set of stories oftentimes they're preached as distinct paragraphs from Matthew chapter 14. And it's appropriate to do that, by the way, and I hope uh, someday as your pastor to come back through the Gospel of Matthew and preach each of these stories kind of uniquely as its own story. What I'd like to do is look at the entirety of Matthew chapter 14 to show you how it's interconnected. And I've entitled it, Jesus Encounters a Storm, but really, Jesus encounters far more than a storm in this text. He encounters grief, and He encounters people who are needy, and people who are hurting, and people who need healing. He encounters people who are hungry. He encounters people who need rescue and salvation. And all of it, all of it happens in a way to show us something tremendously important about Jesus, and something incredibly needy about us as humans. Uh, This set of stories is when Jesus fed the 5,000, it's when Jesus walked on water, it's when Peter stepped out on the sea. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment, having the audacity to step out on the water and then the pleasure to walk on the water with Jesus until he began to sink? There's a lot more going on in this text. For starters, there's an emotional context If you look at the very first paragraph of Matthew chapter 14, what you'll see there at the top is it's the death of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And so the emotional context is all of this scenario, as Jesus cared for the multitudes, as Jesus fed the thousands, even as he walked on the water, it's encompassed by grief. And not just the grief of those who lost John the Baptist, but Jesus himself. He went away, notice this, verse 13, When Jesus heard this, what did he hear? He heard about John the Baptist's death, the death of his cousin, the death of his spokesman, the death of the the one who announced him as the Lamb of God. When Jesus heard this, notice what he did. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place to be by himself. Jesus went away. In Mark's gospel, it it tells us that Jesus took his disciples with with him so that they could be away together. Why? Folks, Jesus was grieving. We have already seen what Jesus thinks of death. He hates it, and He came to destroy it. He came to defeat it. But Jesus Himself, I want you to get this, was touched by grief. There's an emotional context. There's also a historical context. Jesus went where? He went to a desolate place. Literally translated, a wilderness. Jesus went where the people of Israel were More than a thousand years previous as they left Egypt and were going to the promised land. Jesus went to the same place. He's already been to a wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 when he suffered temptation. Jesus went to a desolate place. He went there and the historical context is, and we'll see this as we walk through the text... Jesus is identifying with the people of Israel. He's identifying with Moses as their rescuer and redeemer. He's identifying with God as the one who redeems and saves. And one of the things that Matthew does throughout his gospel is he draws connections between the Old Testament and New Testament, between Israel and Jesus, Moses and Jesus, Jesus and God being the one who rescued and saved and points that out here in this text. And I want you to notice... What God does, and we're going to see this as we work through the paragraphs, how Jesus identified in a way that is to draw our attention to God and make God accessible and knowable and the one who can redeem us. So there's a historical context. There's also a theological context here in this passage, this passage of Scripture. Jesus is fully man. He's a man who needed solitude. He's a man who needed time alone with God. He's a man who needed to be by himself uh, with the Lord. He's a man who needed time with his disciples apart from the crowds, and yet the crowds came upon him. He's a man who grieved. He's a man who needed rest. Jesus, I want you to get this, is fully man. He is absolutely like us, except that he did not succumb to the temptations we succumb to. But Jesus is far more than a man. This text also tells us that Jesus is God in human flesh. Over and over again in the text, he affirms his deity by what he does in order to meet the needs of those that have surrounded him. So with all that said, let's continue reading from verse 13. Jesus went to a desolate place to be by himself, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Well, Paul's right there. We'll begin pick back up in verse 16 in a moment. I want you to notice this. Filled with grief, Jesus gave grace. Jesus went away. He went away from ministry. He went away in order to spend time with God. He went away to pray. He went away to be with His disciples so that He could teach them to pray and so that they could console Him and He could console them. But when the crowds heard that Jesus was leaving, that Jesus was not going to be there, this miracle worker, this healer, this helper, this preacher, this teacher that had had been so important in, in their lives, when they heard He went away, they followed Him. And we're not just talking about a trickle of people. The text would tell us there were at least 5,000 men, probably upwards of fifteen or 20,000 people there that followed Him to where? A desolate place. And the text tells us when Jesus saw them, He had compassion on them. Jesus did not get so called up in his own grief and sadness, in his own circumstances, in his own needs, physical human needs, very real needs, he was not so caught up in those that he ignored the needs of the people that came to him. He had compassion on them. He taught them. He healed them. He ministered to them. He cared for them. He showed them grace. It's a beautiful picture. It's a picture that goes all the way back into the Old Testament When you see that God led His people out from Egypt, He led them into a wilderness. You know what God did while He was in the wilderness? He protected them. The Bible tells us that He made sure that their clothing lasted, the 40 years that they wandered, that their sandals did not wear out, that they had what they needed, that their provisions were met. God showed them compassion. And as the crowds of people, Israel came around Jesus, and Jesus was there in a moment of grief and difficulty, humanly speaking. He looked at them as God looked at His people Israel in the Old Testament, and He had compassion on them, and He had grace on them. I want to tell you something. Maybe you walked in this morning, and and you do have grief, uh, an ever-hovering grief. Something that is there that hasn't gone away. Jesus knows. He went to a desolate place to be alone with God as he grieved over the death of his cousin. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you are. I say this to those folks that are here present in the room and also to those of you folks that are watching at home. We miss you, by the way. I I would love for you to come back if you're physically able. But I know I'm talking to some of you who will probably never come back to a worship setting at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Some of you are are now permanently shut-ins. And I want you to know we haven't forgotten about you, we love you, we care about you, and sometimes I know you probably feel like nobody cares what's going on in your situation. I just want you to know something Jesus does. You may feel like you're in a desolate place, isolated, alone. Do you know where Jesus was when He ministered to the multitudes here? He was in the wilderness. Jesus didn't go to the populated place. Now, He did throughout His ministry, but here in this text, He didn't go to the populated place. He went to a place where nobody was, and the the nobodies that, that needed help went to where Jesus was, to a desolate place. I want to tell you something. Jesus knows exactly where you are. He knows where you are in your isolation. He knows where you are in your grief. He knows where you are in your difficulty, and I want you to watch what He does he gives grace not only that but bombarded by need Jesus fed the multitudes you should watch what happens next verse 16 so the disciples ever practical disciples they'd be they'd they'd make good baptists okay we baptists like to count numbers We Baptists like to make sure that that all the dollars make sense. We like to make sure that we have a good accounting of all that's going on in our circumstances and in our need. The disciples who make good Baptists, they came to Jesus with a practical problem. Hey, there are thousands of people here, Lord. They're here, and they haven't eaten all day. Now, some of those folks may have brought their own lunch. Some of those folks may have packed, but whoever packs enough for teenage kids? Whoever packs enough for kids that are, whoever packs enough in terms of meals and foods. And so they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we've got a problem. We've got all these people that are hungry. They've been here. You've been here helping them. Send them away. I think there was some intentional compassion on their part too, Jesus, for Jesus. Send them away so we can have our alone time. Send them away. And then Jesus, verse 16, <laughs> Jesus said, now this is just amazing. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Man, if, if Jesus told us Baptists that say that, you feed them, we'd be like, hold on a second. Let's go see what's in the pantry. Uh, can, we go, can we go to Lowe's Foods, Food Line, Walmart? Who's making a Walmart run? Who's going to go make sure there's enough food for everybody? But they didn't have that in those days. They didn't have access to a grocery store. They couldn't go down the street to the 50s. They couldn't make it to Chick-fil-A. It was probably a Sunday. It was closed. They didn't have enough uh, a, a way to provide for all the food that was needed. Jesus said, You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking up the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said, A blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. Notice this, bombarded by need. The need of hungry people, people that had been waiting for something. They'd been waiting for Jesus to help them or heal them or teach them. They'd been waiting all day. Jesus didn't turn them away. He fed them. Fed them. Jesus knows exactly what you need and is able to provide. Now, there are some strong allusions here to the Old Testament. For 40 years in the wilderness, how did God keep the people of Israel alive? He gave them manna from heaven. He provided for them bread where they would get up in the morning every day and walk out and pick up the wafers of bread that they needed, the wafers of manna that they needed in order to survive. Where did that happen? It happened in the wilderness. When did it stop? When they got to the promised land. And so there is a very clear allusion that Matthew is drawing us to as he's telling us that Jesus is the one who, under the power of God in the Old Testament, provided the people of Israel with manna here in the New Testament, Jesus is feeding the multitudes with bread. He's making sure that they have enough. He's making sure that they are provided for. He is showing himself not just in humanity to be, deal- to be one who deals with grief and needs isolation, needs solitude, needs time with God. He's showing himself to be God himself, to be the one who is able to provide and to meet our needs. He's showing himself, that he's showing us that he is more than what we will ever need. He provided for them. He blessed that that bread, and He broke it. And He distributed it, or had the disciples distribute it. And all ate and were satisfied. Bombarded by need, Jesus fed the multitudes. Something that we need to see here. Several somethings that we need to see here. One is Jesus cared about the crowds. And Jesus' aim wasn't to draw crowds. He came to save souls. He didn't come to build some kind of mega ministry where thousands and thousands followed Him. But He did care about every single person that showed up that day that was in need because He loves people. Sometimes we wonder, does Jesus really know what's going on in my life? There are a whole lot of other people out there He has to care about. Millions in our country and... Billions across our world, does Jesus really know what's going on in my life? He absolutely does. Because when he was bombarded by the needs of the crowd, what did he do? He made sure there was enough bread and there was enough fish for everybody. He won't miss you in the multitudes. He hasn't forgotten about you where you are. He cares about you explicitly where you are. And watch this. How many baskets were left over? Twelve. Jesus is sufficient for all of our needs. In fact, he's more than sufficient for our needs. Now, if you go back to Matthew chapter 4, Satan tempted Jesus to do a very similar thing when he was in the wilderness facing temptation. He looked at Jesus and said, will you turn these rocks to bread? So that you can be sustained because Jesus had been fasting for a period of 40 days. Jesus wouldn't turn the rocks to bread. Why wouldn't he turn the rocks to bread? He wasn't going to sustain himself physically in a way that God had not planned for him to do that. He wasn't going to disobey God. He wasn't going to not trust in God. He was going to trust in God's provision. So why in this story did Jesus provide bread for the crowds? So I want you to get this. Jesus cares about our needs. He wouldn't do this miracle for himself. But he did do this miracle for those who desperately needed food when they were hungry. He did this miracle because he wanted his disciples. He wanted Matthew in particular who noticed this and wrote it down this way. He wanted the crowds to see that Jesus himself is not just a man. He is more than a man. He is God who is to be worshipped. He is God who is to be praised. The same God who provided man in the Old Testament is in human flesh in the New Testament, walking around the crowds, providing them for their needs. And one thing we need to grasp is this is not just about physical nourishment. It is... Jesus told us to pray that God will give us our daily bread, Matthew 6, in the model prayer. But there is something that, that Jesus goes on to do later in the, in, the, in the gospel accounts. He says, I am the bread of heaven. He, he tells us that He is the word of life. Where do we get our spiritual sustenance from? Folks, we don't get our spiritual sustenance from the food we're going to eat for lunch today. Now, now, we need to eat lunch today. I'm looking forward to lunch today. It's roast. My wife prepared a roast and it has been sitting in a crock pot all night long. When I awakened this morning to have my devotions, I smelled the roast and I was hungry already. We need physical sustenance. But one thing that I want you to grasp is the bread that God wants to give us is more than just physical bread. He wants to give us the Word itself, His Word, to sustain us. He wants you and me to have enough of this to get through our lives. We'll come back to this in an application in a moment. I want you to grasp this. Bombarded by need, Jesus fed the multitudes. And finally, I want you to see this. Compelled by mission, Jesus walked through a storm. Compelled by mission. Notice what took place. Immediately after he fed the thousands, immediately after he told them to gather up the baskets full of fish, he did something. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Jesus basically said to the disciples, I need some alone time. I need some time with the Father. So he sent them into the boat across the sea. He sent the crowds away, having met their needs, having fed them and cared for them. And then after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. We'll make this application more strongly in a moment. But if Jesus needed time alone with the Father, so do we. But the boat by this time, verse 24, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. Stop just a second. He came to them walking on the sea. Jesus is doing something no one else has ever done before. He's doing something uniquely Jesus like, God like. No one has walked on water before. And no one will ever walk on water again. It's just not going to happen. He walked to them on the sea, sent them away in the storm or in a contrary wind, sent them away, and he walked to them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, yeah, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. What, what, what would you think? Imagine being on the boat. There aren't lights do have boathouses? I mean, I mean, they're, they're, there's not, a, a, Dr. Mike, you live on the lake, but, but there are lights, and, and you can see other boathouses and other boats. Not so in, you know, 2,000 years ago, on this lake, on this sea, there wouldn't have been lights. So maybe the light of the moon, that, that's how they saw Jesus, light of the stars. If I saw somebody walking on the water to me in the middle of the night, I'm going to be scared too. Terrified. They cried out, it is a ghost. But Jesus immediately spoke to them and saying, take heart or don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. Greek, it's ego, I me, which is I, I am. Which Jesus is doing something here. It's recorded in the Gospel of John on a number of occasions. John is famous for the I am statements. I am the bread of life before Abraham was I am. Jesus is claiming deity In this text, I think Jesus is absolutely claiming deity for the disciples. He's walking on water. He's just fed the multitudes. He is walking to them. And he said, don't be afraid. Similar language that God used for Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And Jesus says, I am. Explicitly. In this story, Jesus is claiming to be God in human flesh. A beautiful testimony of who Jesus is. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to, uh, to land at Gennesaret. When the men of the place recognized him, they sent around all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. So Jesus walked to them on the water. What's going on in this text? Lot's or lots of things are going on in this text. If you look back at the historical context, what did the people of Israel have to do to get away from the Egyptian army? They walked through where? The Red Sea. The miracle in the Old Testament was walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. I don't know how God did that. I don't know if it was a great wind. I don't know if it was just simply a God's miraculous hand. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us in the Old Testament exactly how God made the land under the Red Sea dry for the people of Israel to walk through, but they walked through water. Jesus, watch this, sent the disciples into a contrary sea. They were fully in the will of God. Fully in the will of God. Facing... A stormy sea, a contrary wind. Some of you are going through some contrary stuff in your life, some things that you don't like, you don't want to experience, you didn't pray for, you would walk away from if you could. I just want to tell you, you may be exactly where you are because God sent you there. And He may have sent you there so that you would see Him in a way that you would never see Him if you weren't in that place. Because the disciples were out in the middle of the sea when Jesus walked there, walked there on water. Again, it's a miracle even greater than the miracle of the Red Sea uh, more than a thousand years previous when the people of Israel came out of the Exodus. It's Jesus not walking through, through the bottom of the ocean on dry ground. He's walking on top of the water. It, it, here's what it shows us. It shows us that God is accessible. He is someone that we can know and that we can meet. One of the things that I think this passage of Scripture is so important for us as followers of Jesus is this. If you go back to the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they had a mediator. God was the one who rescued them from Egypt. He brought the plagues on the Egyptians. He brought the plague on Pharaoh. He destroyed the Egyptian armies. God is the one who gave the people of Israel manna. God is the one who... who they, they saw the... the the fire come down from heaven. They saw God's judgments. The serpent that, that, that bit the people of Israel for their sins. The water that, was, that, that came out of the rock. The manna from heaven. All of those things were things that God did. The pillar of fire. The pillar of cloud. But in the Old Testament, God was inaccessible. You had to go to God through a priest. You had to go through, to God through a sacrificial system. You had to go to God through a mediator such as Moses. So the people of Israel knew that God was the one who rescued them. But to get to God, you had to go through the proper procedures, sacrificial procedures, and the proper persons, the priest. Or in the case of Moses, the Redeemer, you had to go through Moses. What's happening in the New Testament is Jesus is saying, I'm here. He's saying, God is here in your midst. You no longer have to go through this process to meet me. I have come to where you are. And I've come so that you can know me. In other words, what God is saying, what Jesus is telling us and showing us in this wonderful text is that He is available. He is accessible in a personal relationship. We don't have to go through any other routes to meet God. He came to us walking on the water. And why did He walk on the water? What was the point? I think He walked on the water because He was going to save a drowning disciple. He came to walk on water so he could accomplish his mission of rescue and salvation. Peter said, "Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you." And Jesus said, "Come." I mean, we could spend a lot of time on this story and maybe one day we should. Peter got out of the boat. I mean, we can we can criticize Peter for looking around and beginning to sink, but have you ever walked on water? I haven't. It's Peter and Jesus—that's it. The only two people that have ever walked on water and recorded biblical history. I mean, that's a pretty cool affirmation for, for Peter, and yet he began to sink, began to sink under the waves because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He stopped looking at the one that, the only one that could protect him and save him and rescue him, and started looking at all the other stuff around him. Set, began to sink. One of the shortest prayers in recorded biblical history. Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? He rescued Peter. He reached down. critiqued him. Oh, you have little faith. Hey, hey, you just watched me feed thousands. You just watched me heal people. You just watched me walk on water. Why are you taking your eyes off of me? Jesus could say the same thing to us. Look back at all the things I've done in your life. Look back at all the ways I've rescued. Look back at all the ways I've provided. Now, why are you worried? Why why are you acting like there's no one there to fix the stuff that's in your life? I'm here. Jesus could say that to us. He made three points of application. I, I know I'm going long. I just came back from vacation. I'm sorry. I'm ready. Three points of application. Number one, before you come apart, get alone with God. Some of us need some alone time with our Lord and Savior. I finished a very challenging book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I would commend it to you to read. He referenced in that book a story about how solitude was tremendously important. He talked about how Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War spent time at a cottage away from the White House. Lincoln didn't have any time alone for himself to think at the White House because he was bombarded by all of the people that had need of him as president. So he would get alone at a cottage. And and the, the story goes that that cottage, that alone time, might have actually been part of the reason the Union was saved at the end of the Civil War simply because Lincoln had time to be alone. Blaise Pascal the famous philosopher and apologist, he said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Folks, a lot of the stuff that you and I carry with us, the difficulties, the stresses, the challenges, a lot of that stuff would go away or at least the stress of it on us would go away if we get alone with God. Because when we get alone with God, the God who brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, the God who healed all of those people on that day in the person of Jesus here in Matthew 14, the Jesus who fed the multitudes, the Jesus who walked on water, if we would just get in His presence for a little while, all the stuff that stresses and bothers and frustrates us if we look at it in light of the god that we're spending time with it wouldn't solve it it's not it's not like those problems automatically go away it's not like you walk away from your time alone with god and miraculously all the things that you walked in with are are done and are healed but our perspective changes because we've been with the one who's able We've been with the one who can. We've been with the one who is in control. I think one of the things that you and I need to deal with the stresses in our own lives is to just get along with God some. Let me give you a second application. To see the redemptive connections, I want you to read the Bible carefully. Read the Bible carefully. Jesus even said this to Satan when he was tempted there in Matthew chapter 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, He was talking about man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Folks, you know what we need more of? We need more of God and His Word. That's what we need more of. Some of you are are here, some of you are watching home, you're starved. I don't mean physically starved. You know where you're going to eat your next meal, you know where your food is, you're spiritually starved. Some of you, the struggle in your life spiritually is because you're not listening to anything that God is saying. You're trying to make it on your own wisdom or the wisdom of other people. I'm going to tell you something. You need what God's Word says. How many baskets were left over that day? Twelve. Let me ask you a question. How much insight, how much help, how much understanding are you leaving behind in your life because you're not? Reading and eating of what God has provided in His Word. i gonna tell you something, folks. What God wants to show us in Scripture is not limited to the person who's preaching to you every week. Every single one of you has the same access to the Bible that I do, and God is inviting you to open it up and hear from Him. Third application. When drowning in life storms, simply cry to Jesus in faith. You don't need a fancy prayer. You don't need a long prayer. You don't need a big prayer. You just need a prayer and faith. We sang two songs that reminded us of that. We just need to have faith. Believe that Jesus is able. It's not blind faith, closing our eyes, hoping He's there. It's a faith that is contingent upon the one we believe in. The Jesus that we're going to put our faith in, folks, is the one who's been touched by grief. He's the one who needed time with his father and made time with his father. He's the one who healed the diseases and sicknesses that came to him from the multitudes that day. He's the one who broke bread and gave them sustained food. He's the one who walked on water. He's the one who saved Peter. Is there anything in your life bigger than those things? I think not. Folks, if you're here today touched by grief, call to Jesus. Talk to Him. Tell Him what's going on in your heart and life. He has been there. And the Bible tells us He is here with us now. He's with you where you are. Some of you are starving for spiritual food. Folks, Jesus is waiting to fill you. He's waiting to give you of His Word. He's waiting to give you of life. All you have to do is call to Him in faith. Some of you may be here today or you may know someone who's drowning spiritually in storms and in sins. On the outside, you look like you're okay. You're dressed well. You look not stressed, but internally, you're trying to fix it all. In fact, the primary stress that's going on in our world today is the stress of people trying to effectively save themselves whether it's by being better, whether it's by being nicer, whether it's by seeking pleasure or seeking power or seeking some kind of solace in something else. Folks, none of those things will ever rescue you. You know how I, I can prove that to you? Because the last pleasure you experienced wasn't enough to sustain you for the pleasure that you long for today or tomorrow. The last new thing that you bought that was shiny for a while made you happy for a moment, but then it got old. And you had to buy something else. None of those things sustain. But Jesus does. Jesus is the only one that can rescue you from your sins. And Jesus is the only one that can keep you saved forever and forever. And do you know what it takes? It doesn't take a lot of faith. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Oh, you of little faith. But that little faith still cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus still heard that little faith and saved him. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus to be your Savior, it doesn't take much because Jesus is all you need. All you need is to ask him. Maybe you're here and you just need to pray, bring your burdens to the Lord. The altar will be open. Maybe you need to trust Jesus to be your savior. I would invite you to do that. Stand with me if you will. Father, we come to you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to be our redeemer and our savior and our forgiver. We thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst and give us the opportunity to know you and care for you and be cared for by you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd be a work in our hearts. Sustain us with what we need spiritually. Help us, Heavenly Father, to know you. Help us to know your provision. And Lord, if there's one here who needs to be forgiven and redeemed, rescued, we pray, Lord, that you would save and redeem. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.